welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. My name is Sam, and I'm here with Andy. Andy, how's it going, man? Pretty good, dude. Happy New Year, 2022. Yeah, Happy New Year, Happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and everything in between. I know it's kind of weird. We, we've chatted several times since then, but I haven't ever formally wished you any happy holidays so that's yes, bad to, on me to you and so. yours as well no it was, it's yeah. great it's crazy that i feel like i went to sleep on new year's eve of 2019 and then covid happened and i've woken up and it's 2022 it's just like a continuous blur Dude, no kidding it's i don't know how it is down there in austin but i feel like things are kind of slowly getting back to normal although i will say that everybody and their dog got either covid or some sort of omicron is crazy here, so yeah i mean the the good thing is, and this is not a medical podcast, but my wife is in the the industry, um, so it does appear that it is evolving down towards like a common cold type affair. So it's Omicron was much more contagious, but much less harmful, which right. is obviously a good thing. Austin does tend to take it a little more seriously. I think I went up to Dallas yesterday for the Cowboys game, and it was a little bit of a culture shock for me. Austin, we're yeah. like everyone's masked up. We don't shake hands. I was the only person with a mask on. I got some comments. So you got comments. Yeah, I had a guy in line. Some it was probably because I was a Cowboys. He's a Cardinals fan, but he commented on my quote face diaper. So I was like, "All right, man, I'm not I'm not lecturing Leave you." Leave it to the Cardinals fans. Well, I was I was kind of like, man, like if I was sitting here that. lecturing everyone, like why aren't you all wearing your hat? Then sure, I'm opening myself up, right? Then by all means, open season. But like, hey, you're making your choice. I'm making mine. I'm not saying anything to anyone. Just let me. My, I'm doing this clearly because my wife has required that I do so to attend this game, and she's pregnant. She doesn't want me to bring it home. Like, just let me do my thing, man. Come on, bro. Have some sympathy. People are weird, man. I mean, even if, even if it had nothing to do with the mask, it's like if somebody's just minding their own business, people just having the just feeling the need to walk up to them and be like, "Hey, stranger, yeah. this is how I feel bro, about it's it." It's so weird. We've we've politicized all everything around COVID into like the weirdest dimension, where it's now like. Wearing a mask or like being, you know, being vaccinated has become the same as like wearing a pro-life T-shirt. Like it's like very, you're like, hi, I'm here for everyone's opinion. Line up and give them to me. Well, it's it's like even kind of a little bit beyond politics, where it's. I think it has to do with like social media, where we've been conditioned to think that our opinion is a gift to society, valuable and valid. I'll be honest with you, man. A lot of my opinions are fucking terrible. So, which is why we started a podcast. Absolutely. That's why, hey, that's why this isn't a COVID podcast, because no one needs to know what I think. <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> well, if you, if you like our opinions, you know, like and subscribe. Uh, that always means a lot. Give us a rating. We greatly appreciate all the support that you give us. And obviously, tell two friends, right? We we want to get the word out. Um, hear more from you guys. And if, if there's something that you'd, you'd like us to cover, anything under the sun, just let us know on, on novel underscore discord on Twitter. We love hearing from you guys. Um, you know, speaking about the the year that it's been, I had to actively go back and remind myself what movies have come out this year because it has been yeah, a really weird thing. year for productions. Yeah, and and I'll say it a weak year. It's a it's a weak year. There are movies on my top five, top ten list that wouldn't be in a normal year. We it was it was kind of slim pickings this year, I'm not gonna lie. It's it's interesting. I mean, a lot of production like filming came to obvious halts during 2020 and that kind of pushed everything back. And then I even think for products that were finished and ready to go, I think studios were a little bit, um, a little bit hesitant to release them. Yeah. And, and people are uncomfortable going back to theaters. Um, 
I know that like there's been several high profile releases that have done very poorly in theaters, and then once they're on whatever platforms, you've seen a lot of dual releases this year where it's like this comes out in theaters, but it's also going to be on HBO Max the same day, which is probably the direction we're heading generally anyway. I think uh, the theater experience is still valuable, and especially with innovations in that space, like we've seen with Alamo Drafthouse and iPick, institutions like that, they've found ways to make the theater experience more valuable and therefore. Uh, worth the ticket price, but I think we are slowly moving away from the days of like, here's my $15 to sit in a crappy seat in a Cinemark Legacy and, you know, watch just whatever's out, right? Like, not not right. a specific event. Like, it's not new Marvel movie that came out that I've been waiting for. It's just like, I show up there and I'm like, what's out right now? And I go see it. I think those are those days are behind us. Yeah, and I I think we are the beneficiaries of that. Like, like it's, it's awesome that... Hold on. Let me... You're good. Dogs happen. They're trying to break in through the roof and kill you, Sam. He's trying to protect you. That's how ours are with the UPS guy. They're always like, he's got a box. He's trying to break through the front door and kill my mom. Yeah, I, I got a... He's a uh, part German Shepherd, which is kind of what I wanted, but he's also this this breed called a Redbone Coonhound, which if that isn't the most like outdated name for a dog breed... I was going to say, there is no way that was named in the a day after the beginning of the 20th century dude it's 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 rough like people will ask me what kind of dog he is and i almost feel like i have to apologize oh man i even think about that yeah that's weird dude you're kind of like he's he's a mutt trying to dodge it yeah the the place we got him from said he's a german shepherd in a lab which i think is their way of avoiding what this dog breed is actually called so but as we were saying there has been a lot of movies that have come out this year that like you said have been going to streaming services as well which has been really nice like after a after a long work week instead of having to like strap up and go to the movie theater you just sit down on your couch with your you know with uh your significant other your dog and just like watch these films it's been it's been nice and it's nice that there's the movie theaters are still kind of going strong because i did go see a few movies in theaters here like tenant and spider-man and it's really nice to, to have the traditional experience and go out and like get a bag of popcorn and things like that it still retains a lot of its magic definitely I will say uh, I took advantage of some of the, uh, the I guess, the difficulties that theaters are having, and that's that, uh, like, Alamo here no would way. let you rent an entire theater for 150 bucks, and so I took Cassie to a movie. We were just like, yeah, let's take the whole theater. Like, you know, you can't do that every week, obviously, or anything, but for, like, a special occasion, $150, and you get, like, you know, you got dinner and everything, and you got the, the whole theater to so, yourself. You can watch whatever uh, you want that they have. It was, it was I'm bad. getting flashbacks from when we worked at the company that won't be named that had the Alamo draft house night where they did the text in for <laughs> the text oh in for God, what movie, uh, oh was Top my Gun, God. Right? Top Gun. Yeah. So Sam and I, not to go too deep into the past, but Sam and I, uh, worked together for a while at this fly by night startup. Uh, that, like you said, won't be named. I carry some guilt. I like fully recruited Sam to come work at this company with me. Cause I was still in like the first couple months I worked there and I was still kind of hi- hyped about it. Uh, it was led. You sold me on the Herbalife. Dude. Yeah, I really did. And it no, <laughs> it was led by basically a whole bunch of refugees from a Fortune 500 company that I'd worked at previously. And I came to find out it was basically just like dudes that had been fired for cause from this company for various horrible reasons, <laughs> including a guy who uh, he he killed someone at a cheesecake factory. And uh, during the scene where 
This isn't a bit, by the way. This, this is, is absolutely like, true. And, and, I, and I'm also not like, look, you know, legally speaking, I can't speak to <laughs> if, if these events actually played out, but we're not like making this up off top. Of I can head. tell these you there's like a video of things him out hitting there. the guy that died. So that happened for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we're at we're at Top Gun, and they have this thing at Alamo where you can do with a big group where you watch a movie and you text this number, and the text messages appear at the bottom of the screen. And it can be a really funny kind of like live captioning game with your friends where like inside jokes are flying up there. And quickly people realize that these these uh, messages come up anonymously. Like they just come up as comments with no... And you can give yourself a username. Yeah, yeah. So someone uh, right at the scene where the... You know, the American Air Force or Navy pilots are fighting the Soviets. He shoots it. They Maverick shoots one down, one of the Soviet pilots down, and he goes, I killed one. And then right then this message popped up that said, Maverick has the same body count as, and then the guy's name, that's sitting in this theater with us. Who He's right someone, next to Who me. allegedly killed someone, yeah. Dude, I could feel yeah. the heat radiating off of this man. Like, he was about to, like, begin spinning and, like, producing energy. <laughs> like, it was so uncomfortable it was a disaster and it turned into like people frankly like this is not so long ago that it was like a different era but like in the post me too world some of the things that were being said about like women that worked at this company was not okay like it was all bad it was a horrible idea and it was a bad idea but it was also a a it was a reflection of the culture of this this company which was horrible and toxic from top to bottom and it all came out in this form as soon as people had an unfiltered way where they could anonymously say whatever they wanted. They chose the worst shit. It was incredible. Yeah. I mean, you take a, you take a room full of like 20 and 30 somethings who have been told for as long as they've worked at this company that it's like, okay to say whatever's on your mind. And then you also give them alcohol and an anonymous way to say things that will generate laughter. Like there was some really bad, like there was one guy that worked at the company that served in the military and there was like, PTSG jokes made. And it, it was, was like it was really bad. Every though. every like vulnerability that someone had revealed to a coworker was then turned and weaponized against them in this. In yeah, this the setting. the one the one gay guy in our office had jokes made about his sexuality yeah, just, and, on the screen. And he was like, such everything. a he was a pretty nice guy, like just totally uncalled for. Yeah. Like, oh, it was so shitty, man. And I'll just say this: fuck that place and company. I'm so glad neither of us work there anymore and we can just laugh about it because I know we yeah. were both so miserable it, there, dude. Like, and it was like, it, it, and I, it, you know, normally in these kind of situations, you look back and say, oh, we can laugh about it now, but I can genuinely say, like, we don't, we, we don't even really laugh about that situation. It was like, I can't believe that that happened. Yeah, no. Right. I truly wish uh, ill on that entire organization. There's a couple people that were like good eggs, but yeah. pretty, pretty top to bottom just scumbaggery and i hope they fail so such as and i wonder i i don't know if we have main character syndrome here if there's other people that feel the same way about us or no like if there's other people that worked there that were every that also looked back and thought man that was oh everyone i've ever (laughs) known that worked there that then went on to not work there has the same take we do yeah well that's a very memorable movie going experience, but I feel like in 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 this year in in 2021, been some other really interesting memorable movie experiences. Not only in the movie theater, but also in the streaming services. Man, what what movies stick out to you? I know that I we've we've got a list here of some movies we can talk about. But is there any any one that just like when you think of 2021, one that just pops up? You're like, man, yeah, gotta talk about. It's this number movie. one for me, uh, and I know that it's kind of polarizing, but it's Dune. Danny Villeneuve's Dune. Yeah. 
I am a tremendous fan of the IP, the underlying property, the Dune books by Frank Herbert. Um, I think Dune by itself is the single greatest science fiction novel ever written. Um, so I came into this like with it, it was impossible for me to not have high expectations. He's like one of the best directors working today and one of my favorite books of all time. And when I found out that uh, Denny's method for this was to because this is the third time this movie's they've attempted to adapt this film uh this book into a film and it's very difficult to do one because the world that dune inhabits is massive it's a very thick book it's incredibly from a movie standpoint it's very difficult to make people slog through like the politics of dune because it has its whole it like a wholly own political system and all these kind of actors and they all have their own agendas and we saw, like, if you go back to, like, the Star Wars prequels, like, people fucking hate fake politics. Like, no one wants to hear about the trade federations. No one cares, dude. No one cares. I was literally about to make that same that same analogy that it is. It's almost like I think that if you told me that George Lucas got inspiration for the prequels from Dune. I would, I would be like, oh yeah, that totally makes. And sense. I think I, I don't know if you agree with this. I think that the, the prequels, mostly based on time and how the what they did with the sequels, the new sequels, the prequels have actually aged pretty nicely and do a pretty good job of at least, if nothing else, at world building Star Wars. Like the lore got much yeah. larger, um, but that's a, a different discussion for a different time but dune uh the challenge has always been that it's like this incredibly dense work people have produced like these like six hour versions of this movie you know what i mean and uh denny decided immediately that he was going to make two parts he literally got a paperback copy of this book he found the halfway point and ripped the spine of the book and was like i'm going to make a totally loyal film of this section the first section and I thought, with that as your your, your goal, uh, if your goal is not, like, I'm going to make the best possible movie, your goal is I'm going to make the, the best representation of this work on film, um, especially knowing that there's a part two, uh, I think this movie is damn near perfect. 100% agree. It's fucking incredible. The shot, like, the cinematography in this movie is insane. For a movie that takes almost, it almost all takes place on a completely arid desert (laughs) so it's gonna be like single color palette the entire time which can suck like that can really make a movie hard like not fun to look at he did an incredible job working with light and night and daytime and different ways of making what you were looking at interesting um there's some powerhouse performances in this despite there it not being a super dialogue heavy film um oscar isaac comes to mind immediately he plays duke leto atreides um his presence as the Duke in this movie is so perfect to like what I envisioned in my head as the Duke being like. I thought that was so perfect. Um, it is by far the best representation of the Sardukar that I've ever seen. That's been a, a very like a, a timeless critique of all attempts at Dune is that the Sardukar are described as this just like terrifying military force. Um, they're from this planet. That is intentionally kept as the worst place in the world so that the Sardaukar that survive to adulthood are just these battle-hardened religious zealots that fight to the death of the Emperor. They're the most, like, feared warriors in the galaxy. And they've always just kind of come off as just, like, totally lame and almost Looney Tune-like in every other adaptation of Dune. They are fucking horrifying in this movie. 
they they all their the combination of kind of the religious zeal and mission as well as like martial superiority is captured perfectly. Timothy Chalamet does a tremendous job uh, as the main as the main protagonist. If there's one thing I have a problem with, it's everyone's problem with this. It's like you get to the end of the movie and even though it's been like two and a half hours, you're like, I want, I want more, I want more. Cause you're just getting into like the fun part of the story, which is like Paul getting in with the Fremen and becoming a badass warrior and then going to war with the Harkonnen. Um, but we're gonna have to wait for part two for that. We're gonna have to wait a couple of years. Um, but as, as far as setting goes, this is fucking incredible. I think this is the best science fiction movie of the last decade. hundred. Yeah. Um, agreed. And I'll say this, there was a big to-do made several years ago that J.J. Abrams got to make Star Trek and Star Wars, um, kind of the two tentpole space opera properties in the world. Um, Denis Villeneuve has now gotten to do Blade Runner and Dune. I think that's like the the intellectual version of that, yeah. like the more higher-minded version of being able to, to steward those two pieces of IP is a tremendous honor for any director. And he crushed Blade Runner 2077. However, I think he learned from Blade Runner 2077 that he needed to make something that more people could kind of get into. Blade Runner 2077 is very dense also, and average viewers kind of like fell asleep during it, didn't love how dialogue heavy it was. And I think he tried to make this a much more like drawing in watching experience it's much more like visually stimulating it is than parts of blade runner were Dude, the, and there's a lot less just like talking it's it's incredible i could go on forever i'm sorry i'm ranting it's but it's no it's okay we're gonna cut 90 percent of that in the post edit but no <laughs> uh, no you you hit the nail on the head it is the best way i can summarize this is there is a i guess you could call it a rival podcast it's another podcast that talks about really actually actually it's not really about writing it's more about films and it's produced and made by a big podcast network and i don't know the ins and outs of the backgrounds of the guys who run it but half of the hosts ripped dune and they were saying that it had like bad pacing and bad characters and bad costumes even and this is a podcast that i listened to like maybe 40 well this is a podcast i listened to maybe 40 episodes on and i cold quit listening to that podcast because i was like dude if you think dune was a bad film and i'm and i'm not talking about if you if you didn't enjoy dune because whether or not you enjoy something as a subjective media like film and whether or not it bored you that that's a completely different conversation than what i'm talking about i'm talking about whether or not a self-described film critic and film expert thought that dune was a well-made movie or whether it was a poorly made movie that's a completely different conversation um, so I'll, 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 I'll say this. If you didn't enjoy Dune, you're completely entitled to that opinion. And I, I don't take any fault to that. But again, if you are a self-proclaimed film critic and you thought that Dune was a poorly made movie, I say with all due respect, like you have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Like it's such you, a, it's you, nearly a perfect film. The only way I can excuse that is if you had no idea, if you did not know what Dune was, so you had no idea of the story, and you did not know there was going to be a part two, and you thought that this by itself was a standalone movie, and that was it. Right. I could understand coming away from it being like, damn, what? Like, nothing happened. The good guys lose, and that's it. 
But when it comes to things like costume design, dude, it's gonna I it's it gonna win best costume. If not. It's gonna crush the Oscars. Yeah. yeah, like it's gonna crush the Oscars, especially in a year like this where it doesn't have much competition. In uh, fact, that was one of the things. Yeah, like I've, during the movie, I turned to my wife and said, "This movie's gonna win best costume." So for somebody to rip also, on the like, costume makes me just think that. That's agreed. A this this thing. is definitely a litmus test movie for me. Where like, when I encounter a new person when this movie was just coming out, and I was talking to people about it, like. If I didn't know them very well, their opinion on this movie colored to what I thought of them, like, immediately. And the same thing happened when Villeneuve did 2077. Uh, when Blade Runner came out, we had a party at our, our place because uh, the Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather was going to fight Conor McGregor, and this new guy I'd never met came over, and we were talking about Blade Runner, and he was like, man, I heard Blade Runner was, like, kind of whack, dude. I heard it's just all talking. Uh, have you seen the new Baywatch movie, though, with The Rock? And I was just instantly like, I'm not going to like this guy. Like, he might be nice. <laughs> But he's not smart. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about this. It's like, there's two kinds of people in the world. People that like Dune and dumb people. <laughs> like, that's super elitist of me. But and, and here's the thing. I like, dude, I, I like a good, you know, I can sit down and watch a Marvel film. I can watch a cheesy, like, stupid Netflix show. Oh, Dude, I love every shitty military action movie ever. Like, all the Tom Clancy movies. I fuck with heavy, like... Zero Dark Thirty, American Sniper, all those, like, just full-on propaganda pieces that they've put out over the last, like, ten years. I love all of them, but yeah, this yeah. is... Teeth I, is I, in it. It's not even being snooty. It's like, hey, don't try to sound like you know what you're talking about and sound like a yeah. moron. That's the... that That's really what all we're asking is... And I will say the pacing is the one thing that I've heard the most about yeah. before. Just like, it was so slow. But I, I will heavily push back on that because you talked about how... This is such a great adaptation for the book that it represents. And you know this better than I do. Like, the book very much is like that. The characters in this world of Dune are, uh, like, everything is kind of more bogged down. The The dialogue is a little bit slower. They're very methodical. Like a planner, a schemer. Yeah. So when you watch that and you're like, man, uh, Timothy Chalamet had a really stoic performance as did every every actor everybody was too stoic it's like well that's the point that's how the movie is supposed to be it created a tremendous sense of just tension oh yeah you had no that you you were watching them on this planet where you know they didn't like them being there the people on the planet that is and you're just waiting for the ball to drop you're waiting to see when they got crossed basically and that was a they did a tremendous job of building up that tension in order to do that you had to have that slow pacing so i thought it was and what a what a courageous project for a a director to take on like when it comes to like if your goal is to like make a ton of money doing like a three hour very like super high on the intellectual registry sci-fi movie that is one of the least accessible pieces of media ever created like one thing about dune that is very difficult for people is that like there is almost no exposition in the novel like they pretty much it pretty much makes you just read until you you slowly through context clues and continued references to things understand what they are but there is almost nothing in the book where it's like he pulled out the what you know he pulled out the gom jabbar the gom jabbar is blah 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 blah. there's almost none of that so he uh frank herbert created like his own language like his own political system, 50 different factions, all kinds of technology, an entire back history of this universe and all these events. And they're just kind of thrown in there like 
there's so many notes in the in the first like ten pages of this novel where you're like, what is that? And they never mention it again. They'll be like, after the Butlerian jihad and everyone had started using the Orange Catholic Bible, and you're like, oh, I'm sure I'll figure out what that jihad was and what that Bible is. You don't. Like <laughs> it's just you're like uh, okay, and it's it's a masterpiece. But from a filmmaking perspective, you want the thing that the largest number of people can connect with. And this right. was, this is not that project. And he took that on anyway and still managed to make this incredible masterpiece. And he's, I think we are watching in Denis Villeneuve, one of the, the greatest living directors. We're in the middle of watching him like in his prime. This is, you know, LeBron in 2010, just peak of his powers, just can touch anything and turn it into a, yeah. the Mona Lisa. Yeah. It's incredible. Man, we've got a lot of other movies and, and stuff, shows to talk about. Uh, I'll go down the list of some of the things that I, I wanted to discuss, films that really spoke out to me. Um, it wouldn't be right if we didn't talk about the latest James Bond installment that came out. I finally no, got around no, to watching no it. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because we did talk about it a few weeks ago when we talked about Casino Royale on that episode, but No Time to Die uh we've talked about it a little bit in our group chat it was a very interesting decision what they did i you know we 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 touch on spoilers but i guess i should warn you that if you haven't seen no time to die you should probably mute for the next 20 seconds or so in fact i'll add in a little bit of a pause in our episode just so that if you aren't sitting right next to your your player or you don't have a second to pause it i'll give you a second to pause our podcast or to mute it so um, spoilers coming up ahead starting about now. But I cannot believe that they killed James Bond. Andy liked the decision. I kind of didn't like the decision, but we at least, I, I respect the decision. I understand what they were trying to go for. Um, but yes, they killed James Bond. I will say my one big beef with this film is I think the villain sucks. Um, I love Remy Malik a lot. I think he's an amazing actor and he can act his ass off in the right situation. Um, I really don't like it when writers, where they have a villain go, yeah, we're not so different, you and I, as like kind of like forcing you to acknowledge that they've written a mere image of the main character. And in this instance, it really bothered me because he's not a mere image of Bond at all. Like, they, they're they no, not comparable. Like, like, you look at like the Dark Knight, like the Joker and Batman are truly like dark and light like the yin and yang exact opposite characters and that's why like in the end they aren't so different and that's kind of the one of these big pieces of the puzzle that nolan uses to such great effect in that film in this movie to have a character do something as cliche as be like we're not so different you and i when in fact he's a a complete departure from anything related to Bond. You could have put Dr. Evil in that role, and I think it would have been effectively the same movie. So that's my biggest beef there. I love what they did with Bond. I love the arc of Bond. I thought him, like, leaving the service and then, like, replacing him with someone who was completely different than him. I thought that was very cool. Um, And I loved how his character ended up. So I thought Craig continued to kill it. I loved him. I wish they would have come with a better villain. I thought we got... Two really great, truly incredible Bond movies in this, I guess, era. And then I put this one at that next level down. Um, Obviously, the uh, Quantum of Solace is still extra, extra trash. Yeah, exactly. Um, Pivoting here for a second, I wanted to go through some of the superhero stuff that came out because there's a lot of superhero stories. Yeah, I didn't get to see as much this year. I I know you saw Spider-Man. I didn't get to see that. Yeah, so I feel like there's... 
there was very distinct tiers this year of how superhero films did. Um, there was some really good stuff that came out, and there was some really trash stuff that came out. Um, Spider-Man, No Way Home, it's no surprise this was a very good film. I did not walk away from it thinking that it was one of the best superhero films I've ever seen. I thought that they could have used Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield a little bit differently. There was not a lot of chemistry in their writing. They didn't do too much fan service, but at the same time, they didn't really draw too much on how they were as Spider-Man. And in effect, in effect, they just didn't have a lot of strong dialogue between any of them. Those Spider-Men were in the film for like the last 45 minutes of the film, and it really wasn't that memorable, other than the fact that they were in the past films. It very much did not they did not fit it felt very much like you know those movies where there's been a cgi reconstruction of an actor oh yeah the new star wars they did a ton of that with Le- Le- uh, princess leia and grant grand moff tarkin right exactly and then they used um paul walker i believe in one of the fast and furiouses that's kind of how it felt where okay i understand that this is toby mcguire and andrew garfield but i don't feel like they're really in this script i don't really they're present feel like but they're they're yeah. present but their presence isn't felt yeah I feel exactly like now william defoe lived up to his name of william de goat because he was dude really he's such good. a psycho i love it he, like oh my god I, he's so I'll, i'm gonna invoke a title that any most movie fans that are not 15 will probably cringe at but like boondock saints like it's a horrible movie and actually the story of how that movie was made is much better than the actual film but William Defoe in that movie is such a wild man that I I love it to this day because of him. Like he's so crazy in that movie. <laughs> like yeah, he's he he is single handedly the only reason that the Death Note live action movie is not a zero out of ten. So it's he a plays one out the of monster 10. right. Yeah. So anyways, uh, Spider Man No Way Home. Uh, we we could end up doing another review on it, but I say probably not. We'll probably. I mean, it is a like solid. Eight and a half, nine out of ten. It's really good. Did you see uh, the new Suicide Squad? Yes, and I thought it was a significant improvement on the the, the Suicide Squad that's just called Suicide Squad. This one's called the Suicide Squad. Yeah, it's a it's definitely yeah. watchable. Uh, I I found part myself enjoying several yeah. parts of it. I thought it was a cool idea. The whole concept was cool. Margot Robbie is great at that role. She's a and dude, she's just such an a, such a good actor. You know, I, I recently went through a whole like phase where I rewatched all the Tarantinos again, just because I do that every couple of years, and I rewatched uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, she's she's kind of the the uh, the two sides of that equation are Leo, whose whose uh, character his career's on the downslope, and then Margot Robbie playing Sharon Tate, who's kind of on the upswing of her career, like she's becoming famous but not so famous. You know, she goes to the movie theater; they don't know who she That's is yet, kind scene. of thing. And she does such a great job playing even just like really subtle small roles like that she found ways to bring like her acting chops to those things to make her herself felt in all those scenes she's a she's an amazing actress um and i think she's had to overcome a little bit i think we all know why we originally you know saw margot robbie on screen and thought she was incredible like to come out in wolf of wall street like she did she could have got typecast into like a very specific megan fox type role um and instead dude she is she can just She's she could be the young Meryl Streep like she is a banger of an actress. Yeah, it's incredible. Really uh, other things that came out this year were The Eternals, which is on that tier of really just shitty films. Uh, it's actually interesting. <laughs> I watched this film with none of my writing group friends or anything like that. I went and watched it with family, 
And when we walked out, I was like, everybody was like, what did you think about the Eternals? And I was like, oh, it was pretty good. And they all hated it. And then I realized, oh, I'm so conditioned to thinking that every Marvel film is like an eight to a six on the scale that yeah. when a movie was like a solid six, I wasn't like thoroughly disappointed. I was like, you guys are nitpicking this script. It's a Marvel movie. Like it's not, it, yeah. it's not. As long a, as it just falls inside the range. It's right. Like- yeah. It, no, that's exactly right. As I just walked out and was like, it had cool action. It had every character had the exact same personality that like kind of aloof comical character that's really capable and is everybody's kind of a smart ass to each other like that's how the eternals is and like it was no different than any other marvel film they fought some cgi baddie uh i will say that angelina jolie you kind of forget about her a little bit because she hasn't done a ton lately but she's still pretty good at what she does um there's some obviously really cool action uh the 10 rings uh shang chi i think is how you say it i saw me and cassie saw that didn't love that um yeah it was kind of on the decent to lower decent scale of the marvel like the six and a half i I felt like if you if i didn't know that was a marvel movie i would have thought it was a gi joe movie Mm. kind of thing i would like definitely not not like horrible just like it did not feel as uh as maybe epic is a good word as many of the marvel movies do and i know marvel is very guilty of like everything is 9-11 in those movies like everything is uh, everything is in the the universe yeah and 10 rings wasn't like 10 rings was very much more kind of like a localized thing uh and it it had some very cool parts i i definitely just came away from it being like marvel's doing a good job targeting the the new cash cow of the movie industry which is the chinese market that's going to play very well there they love cgi they love shit about china yeah. That's going to do huge work there. Um, but I, I don't think I'll ever watch it again, honestly. I, like I would agree with you on, on that in terms of rewatching. I thought it was entertaining in the moment, but I, I did not. Like, I'm glad I got to stream that from the comfort of yeah. my couch and I didn't pay, you Same. know, 15 bucks I had to go see that in the movie theater. Truly, truly cotton candy. Like, delicious, but you cannot eat it for a meal and you can't you eat it like realize by the end of the bag you're like you know what i'm not getting much out of this like yeah exactly uh i watched uh 10 rings and then i watched the eternals and then i watched spider-man and i started realizing that it really feels like marvel studios is kind of repurposing or reformatting a lot of the same cgi effects like you watch these oh they're for sure reusing assets like there's almost no way they're not yeah and it but it's so obvious like every power it's kind of this glittery glow green. And if you watch some of their, um, do go look at the, the uniforms of all the superheroes, whether it's the Shang-Chi people or Eternals or Spider-Man or like Iron Man or all of these like superheroes that are getting their different uniforms from either outer space or for like <laughs> Tony Stark's tech or whatever. They all have the same glittery goldish effect somewhere on them. And yeah, it, it, it just, it, it's starting to all feel and every, Look, Marvel is very formulaic. They do it well. But it's starting to feel too, uh, repetitive to a point where I'm like, man, I don't know if they can keep doing this. Like, I, I'm starting to wonder if they're, if they're going to lose steam eventually. Well, and, and they, have a, they have a design language. It's very much like Apple. Like, if Apple tomorrow makes something that has, like, really hard geometric angles and it's highlighter yellow, people would be like, What? You know, because they've we've come to expect a certain design language from Apple, which is like soft corners, white, black, space gray. And I think Marvel has that same thing, where they've decided that like in the universe we've created, powers look like this, uniforms look like this, generally speaking, and then you iterate on that to create your piece. Um, one thing that I've really liked about 
Marvel when at what I for me was kind of their peak, which was like I guess like phase two, like after the first wave of Iron Man and stuff, like as they right. ramped up to Avengers Endgame, was that they were taking these characters and these same formulaic pieces and then doing interesting things with them. Like I thought, even though it wasn't like the best movie I'd ever seen, like the fact that they took Ant-Man and they're like, Hey, we're going to make this Marvel movie and it's still a Marvel movie and it has all the beats that you like, but it's a heist movie or like, you know, like finding other genres to mix with their superheroes. They basically have a superhero sauce that they dump on everything. Spider-Man homecoming was like a teen comedy. Right. Exactly. And it does feel like they're getting a little bit away from that, and they're just like, look, print the A to B superhero hero's journey movie and make yeah, 500 epic, million. epic, like, epic. And to your point earlier about stakes, I feel like if you watch some of the original Marvel films, like Iron Man or, you know, the first Spider-Man, it very much was an insular event. The, the climax of the film is they're fighting one bad guy, and the stakes are... I don't want you to get away with this technology or, you know, I don't want you to kill the love of my life or whatever, right? right. And, and now it is starting to be, oh, no, I don't want you to destroy the universe. Oh, no, I don't want you to destroy the universe. Oh, no, I don't want you to destroy the universe. And that's the only well, – ba- and it, 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 they're, they're dealing with a power scale problem at this point. Yeah, and, th- and that happened in comics too. It just – at a certain point, you just got to where it's like, okay, like how many – different existential threats to all of life could we possibly face before people would even in real life like dog the first time an asteroid was going to hit the earth that would destroy it it would be conundrum yeah the 47th time people would be like making memes about it like yeah. it, would, it would barely register like this is the nature of humanity so, yeah i i think there's a meme that speaks to that where it's it says the internet has no chill. A meteor could be coming towards Earth, and y'all would be like, and then it's like a picture of Earth, but somebody has imposed the Michael Jordan crying face. Crying on Jordan face? <laughs> yeah. Dude, um, speaking of uh, asteroids about to hit the Earth, uh, I know you watched um, Don't Look Up. Oh, yes. But before we move on to, to Don't Look Up, I, I wanted to touch on two more uh, superhero things, if I can. Oh, yeah. yeah and that it. is the, again, really bad show, really good show. Really bad show was WandaVision. WandaVision was awful. Uh, I've heard. I only a lot watched of... like the first three or four episodes. Um, we didn't really get into it. I thought it was really in- an interesting idea. I just didn't. I didn't care enough. Um, we got more into Loki. That was kind of our Loki was our pick. De- Loki was good and had a really good payoff at the end. But yeah, I, I kind of felt Loki was a little bit in the middle. I thought Hawkeye was the one that, from beginning to end, had a had a a good singular standalone story with good characters and a lot of growth. WandaVision, we didn't finish. We got four episodes in like you did, and the pacing was so bad, there was no point to it. I've heard, I've watched a lot of videos afterwards. A lot happens within the Marvel Universe that is important in WandaVision. So it's kind of disappointing that the show was so bad, but it just was a very poorly written show. I felt like 2021 was the year of the, like, un-superhero, though. Like, The Boys was really big. The Invincibles got really big. And I loved yeah. both of those. Um, after watching season... I guess we were in season yeah. two of The Boys? Season three? I can't remember. Um, but I went and read, like, the entirety of the comic book series. And it's such a, an incredible yeah. series. Like, the entire... The person who sat down and invented that entire plot line and like interwove all the real life events like it, it's a it is a real masterwork so i i thought that was kind of the 
we've been so inundated with the classic superhero thing over the last decade, decade and a half, that this did feel kind of like the uh, logical inverse of that, where we were like, well, let's really think about like what would happen if people had superpowers. Um, you know, we got that new Watchmen show a couple of years ago on HBO that was really yep. incredibly well done. I don't know if we're ever going to get more of that, but that was incredible. And then The Boys has kind of taken up that mantle of being like, let's really examine the idea of human beings having godlike powers. And it's the old adage of like, if you gave an amoeba the powers of God, it wouldn't suddenly assume the responsibilities of God. It would just right. be a terrifying amoeba that would use its powers to like eat and consume at a much larger scale. And so, yeah, I thought I thought those were like the meaningful, the really impactful for me this year, the ones that looked at kind of the other side of that coin. That's a great point. Um, and so, yeah. You had, we had a lot of highs and a lot of lows in regards to that. But as you said, let's move on to Don't Look Up. Um, I, I, I'll go ahead and say this. I think this was one of the best movies that came out this year. Um, yeah. This movie, I feel like everyone came away from it like like kind of like depressed. This movie takes like a – and I'm going to sound there's – there's like a TikTok going around right now of like guy who just saw Don't Look Up. And he's literally going to say half of these things, but it's really accurate. And that's like – this really does feel like putting a mirror up to our society and like and taking an unflinching look, and it is super fucking upsetting. <laughs> like it's it's very heavy handed. Well, I, I should say this: it's heavy handed at the end, and I and I think it means to be heavy handed because I think it points out that one, we strip issues of all nuance and reduce them to black and white. Uh, I read a really great quote the other day. I think applies really well here. Uh, it's by the political essayist Adrian Rich, who said many things that we've uh, that we call politics aim for certainty at the cost of honesty. So it's always like for a politician and in matters of politics, especially in the modern age, it's much better to be, to feel for something to be certain rather than to be honest. Cause when you're honest about things, they have nuance. There's like gray areas, there's questions. People don't like that. People like yes or no or evil or good and they like feeling like they're on the right side of things and if there's any if they you know if your answer is only 80% the correct for them that that makes them feel yeah. you know some dissonance inside um and so in this movie they examine you know there's an asteroid that's going to hit earth the people that discover this asteroid attempt to take that to the government who and then you kind of watch like the media the political machine Everyone involved in that would be involved in that process, we watch it kind of washed through that. And you know, I think it's a it's a it's a fairly non subtly disguised allegory for global warming and climate change, a earth killing, you know, catastrophe that is discovered by scientists and people in charge are kinda of like, Yeah, but I mean, come on, man. Yeah. Like, come on. Not right now. And then it's dragged out whatever it's politically political capital from using it to distract them from something else. The media is also just as bad where, like, they completely ignore the fundamentals of the issue and only want to, like, use it when it can, like, drive ratings up. The characters are fairly representative of, like, some major political figures from both sides of the aisle. Um, and it is really well done. It has a great cast. Leonardo DiCaprio Jonah did Hill a great job. Jonah Hill did a great job as kind of playing, like, the... He's kind of like the Don Jr. of this universe. Did you hear his quote about what his inspiration was? No, what he said. He said, I... I asked myself, what if the Fry Festival was a person? That's awesome. It's true. That's awesome. And then uh, kind of all the tech, like the Bezos, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk is kind of combined into one person. Uh, and they exercise completely outsized authority in all the processes. 
uh, that involved in this because of kind of the corporate corruption that is now so deep seated itself into our political and media machine. Um, and at the end, everyone dies. Like the entirety yeah. of humanity is wiped off the face of the yeah, earth. No and, happy ending. Uh, we go with a whimper. Yeah, like that's so great. It's, it's pretty funny. Um, it was one of those movies where, for me, it felt like I am a passenger on a train headed towards a brick wall at a thousand miles per hour, and I have just been shown a video of a train crash, <laughs> and I'm just like, "Fuck!" Yeah, <laughs> like, and it, it's 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 funny because I've I've talked to people who are on the opposite side of the aisle that you're coming from who feel the same way about other things, not global. Yeah, warming. oh yeah, and it's it's definitely so everybody like, can walk away being like, "Dang, nobody takes anything seriously." So I thought that was. Yeah, exactly. There's, I I thought it did a good job trying to not leave anyone off its list. Like it, this I did not come, and and I worried about that because obviously I am coming from a specific perspective, and I was like, okay, am I viewing this this way and viewing it as even-handed because I am on this specific side of the political spectrum? Um, But in discussions with other people, they were like, no, like even as a you know coming from the opposite direction, like I felt like it was aimed pretty nicely at issues that I feel passionate right. about on this side of the equation too. Um, and I think they were very deliberate about how they built their president, who's kind of key central figure to all this. And she kind of embodies the worst of like, she has everything that I hate about the other team and everything you hate about the other team all rolled into one horrible package. Yeah. And so you're just like, yeah, we can all agree. This would suck. Yeah. Like this is it right here. So they did a great job. I mean, it's a really well done piece of satire. It's just like, uh, what's that? Remember when they a couple years ago they discovered that black that's like so black that no light could escape yeah, from it, yeah. like Vanda black or whatever. This is that. Like this is like, there's no shade of gray here. It is literally the movie is just basically like you're all going to die almost willingly because you're so stupid and you're running full speed towards it and everyone's just like sitting there while the credits roll being like they're right. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, you, you you talked about um, you're gonna have to help me out here. The director of Dune, you talked about how he, yeah, Denny Villeneuve, right? How he is kind of before our very eyes becoming one of the best directors uh, of our generation. But man, Adam McKay is on the short list of that as well. You look at some of the dude, things that he's bangers, been developing, dude. man. He obviously this uh, the Big Short, which is on probably. It's easily a top 10 movie of all time for me. Uh, I love The Big Short. Yeah, same. Uh, love Secession. And then, but it's funny because he came to, from to, some of the things like yeah, Step Brothers. I was going to say, like, Step Brothers, the other guys. Like, he was this very much like this kind of form, what I think is almost a dead genre now, kind of the, the, Judd the big budget comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he did The Big Short, he did Vice, uh, he did Don't Look Up. So he's gotten way more into this, like, very uh kind of almost like somewhat comedic but like very hard-hitting it's like political satire pieces. dark comedy is kind yeah of what i put it yeah speaking of secession uh we hit it on some other tv shows Let's talk about secession for a second now we should probably do a separate episode about secession but we should absolutely do a separate episode on Succession because uh, it deserves it probably the in, best tv show on television period right that that i was about to say the same um Season three came out this year. Uh, I I don't know if you'll agree with me on this. I think that it was you know a nine out of ten, but I think it's probably the weakest of the seasons of Succession. Uh, I do love where it's going though. I think I would have agreed with you until the finale. Yes, the finale was phenomenal. And then I think it I think it pulled for me. This is just my personal. I'm not going to like argue it for objectively. This is the case, but for me, it like pulled it even with 
season two. Yeah. But it that to me, like even that discussion feels like splitting hairs. It's yeah. like, oh, what's the worst season of The Wire? Well, I have an answer for that, but like it doesn't matter because The Wire is still so fucking amazing, and that's how Succession right. is. It's uh, is Succession like all the critiques of Succession that I hear are true? Like the the people do not behave like human beings, talk like human beings. It's written in a very weird way to where like they speak in a very distinct fashion that like if you if you say it out loud to each other, you're suddenly aware like how fucking weird these people are. But it's an incredibly well written, well paced, and well acted show, and it examines. A population of people who have become exponentially more powerful and influential during our even our just our lifetimes like i think this is a a again i don't think there's much subtlety here this is effectively the murdochs like that's who this is pretty much supposed yeah. to be and to get a front row seat to because i think until i watched this show i kind of viewed everyone in that of that ilk like the the george soros's and the Koch brothers and like anyone in that like billionaire I but I'm in super involved in politics from the shadows world um as just kind of being like that was their identity to me and now like after watching succession you're suddenly aware that like a lot of this is just like this is almost their hobby and they're they're a human being with all the same like passions and quirks of a normal human um and then they've grafted this that whole environment onto almost like a Macbeth or a Game of Thrones, like, palace intrigue type genre where you have the central figure of power, which is Logan Roy, and then all the other Roy's and Roy-adjacent characters that are vying to, like, either usurp his throne or attach themselves to it or be next in line or however their path to power is. Each season providing one character... Uh, one of the the siblings, like kind of their their shot. It's their season. So season one was the Kendall season. Um, season two was the Shiv season, and then this season uh, was Roman. I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Romans, thank you, Romulus. Uh, it was was his season, um, and each of them kind of learning in turn that they're like not built for this shit. Like Logan's basically like giving each of them a shot, but also like being very blunt with them that like they're not they're not built. I think it is one of the two or three best written pieces of media I've ever consumed as a watcher. I think it's incredible what they set up. Like, it, there are very few TV shows, I think, that pull off, like, setups of, like, individual lines of dialogue that are not, like, major plot points. Just, like, uh, in this season we had the whole thing with, like, Tom's getting ready to go to prison and he's been reading about Roman history, and so he describes to Greg, like, the relationships between this emperor and his... Yeah, Nero, yeah. Nero betrayed his wife and had a yeah. close lover that he, yeah, had him cut off his genitalia and join and marry him or whatever. And it, the guy's name is, like... I, I forget the guy's name, but let's just say his name is Sam. <laughs> and... Yeah, and so... And at the end, he's like, will you be my Sam to Greg? Inferring that he's gonna trade Shiv, yeah. Yeah, and Tom finally, like, after just years, as far as, as a watcher, it's been years, but for him, I guess it's been, like, a year, but, like, the entirety of our of his relationship with Shiv that we've seen has just been this horrible abuse. Like, she treats him so fucking terribly. Like, on their wedding night, he get, she asks him for an open relationship, she's banging other guys, she... Yeah is basically the sacrificial lamb to go to prison over the cruises thing. And then finally, like at the moment of just like of the 
the culmination of all their efforts, Tom's like, no. Just drives the knife into her back. I love it, dude. I I love it. I've watched the whole show like three or four times. It's amazing. Yep. Also, they dress absurdly in this show. If you go, go take a, as a viewer, go, just go look up shit that they wear on this show. It's so outrageous. Like, they all wear these black ball caps that have no branding on them, and they're by Amiri, and they're (laughs) $1,500. Like, AD has done some shows where they go tour houses or penthouses that they filmed in secession. Like, AD did a video where they toured uh, Kendall Roy's house in season three and it's like a 150 million dollar penthouse yeah and ad is architectural digest just for people listening yeah they do some incredible tour videos but yeah that that penthouse is nuts i mean and it's in new york so you know it's just got to be that that penthouse would be absurdly expensive in des moines but since it's in manhattan it's got to be like the gdp of a south american oil producing nation Um, like super uh it's kind of what we said earlier about don't look up where there's a ton of realism in it and a lot of depressing realism but but it's also colored the colors turned up to the volume of 10 like where it's it's not the the details aren't that realistic but the entire picture is absolutely something that could happen i loved the moment when they're all in that hotel suite and they are deciding in this room who's going to be the next president of the united states based on who their giant media conglomerate throws their weight behind and greg goes i just feel like as a patriot, I have a duty to tell you it should not be Connor. And you're just like, God, that's so sad. <laughs> but like, I, you know, good for you, man. Like you're making the right call there. Just like, oh, it's horrible. So yes, Succession is incredible. Everyone go watch it. Um, that's definitely my TV show of the year. I have one, two, three, three things on my list of the top six that we have not talked about yet. Let's go for it. Let's hear it. Let's hear what you got. Okay, one, uh, my number two uh, documentary series that did on WeWork um, came out earlier this year. This shit is a banger. I am freakishly, weirdly obsessed with, like, corporate malfeasance. It's all stemmed from the horrible experience we had at Alamo Draft House. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that definitely, that definitely <laughs> like, ties into it. Uh, WeWork is so illustrative of so many issues in our economy, in our society, and particularly for me, it hit close to home because I, I work for a, a major Silicon Valley company. I work for Google. And I came into the technology world based around kind of the very cliche at this point Silicon Valley mantra of like technology is the greatest pathway we have to uh, making the world a better place and like helping those who have less less than us to like elevate their existence. Um, unfortunately, WeWork is like a story that exposes like all the the holes in that theory and all the bad practices of Silicon Valley that have have led to these massive scandals. And it is one of the craziest examples of like someone who is a little bit crazy and a lot a grifter being given access to like unlimited power and money and just how off the rails they go. WeWork went from a company that would sign long-term leases in office buildings in New York and then sublet the individual offices to startup companies or individual workers. And they would like, you know, build a cool kitchen and like, you know, kind of spice it up a little bit into this $70 billion Goliath of a company that was trying to start like schools and gyms and apartments Um, And they go through all this in the documentary. They interview people that lived in this community they tried to start, and it's crazy. 
Um, and eventually when they tried to go public, you have to file all these all this paperwork to go public. And it was revealed that they were just burning money in a hole in the ground and that the plan for this company was basically for like uh, the guy who founded it, Adam Neumann, who is a full-on sociopath. He's like a cult was going leader. To like, He's straight up a cult leader. He really was. And his plan was to like uh, run the company until he was 150 because he was researching medical technology that was going to let him live that long. And then if he passed away, it would go to his wife and then eventually his kids. Like, it's a public company, dude. Your wife doesn't get to take over the company just because you die. Like, that's not how this works. Yeah, and she's like, a, she's like an actress slash yoga instructor, which there's nothing wrong with either of those, but it's like she's not at all equipped to handle running a multi-billion dollar corporation. Well, and her cousin is the, her cousin's the goop lady. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow? Yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow. I was actually kidding when I guessed that, but. No, but no, yeah, it is Gwyneth Paltrow. And they just had crazy ego issues. Uh, they hired the CEO of SoulCycle was hired to come over and be the chief product officer for WeWork, and it was a huge deal, you know, recruiting the CEO and founder of SoulCycle, which is a huge, successful company, to come be a C-level executive at WeWork. And then about a week into her being there, uh, Adam Adam Newman's wife, this chick, decided that uh, she wanted the title chief product officer, and so she made... She made her give it up, and the, the lady just left and went back to SoulCycle. So just, like, crazy horrible moves like that. Um, they ended up being forced out of the company, and they got, like, a 4 or $5 billion golden parachute to get out of this company. So he ran this thing into the ground. It was pretty much a giant Ponzi scheme, and he made it out with $5 billion. And, like, ruined people's lives. Oh, thousands of lives. And, yeah, it's it's a crazy story. I highly recommend the documentary series. It's one of the craziest stories of just like modern Silicon Valley hubris you'll ever hear. Incredible work. Hulu did a great job. Highly recommend it. Yeah, quick disclosure there. I one of my I've got a friend who worked for WeWork and was pretty successful at WeWork and is one of the most brilliant people I've met. And we have not I have not had a chance to talk with them about what happened at WeWork or anything like that. But uh, I can guarantee you from my past discussions with them and my past dealings with them that they had, they would have had no idea about any of that stuff going on. Oh, I don't think anyone that worked there did. It was very notorious. They, they make it very clear in this documentary that, like, Adam preyed on the fact that people, especially millennials, want to feel like they have a mission and that they're being fulfilled by their work. And he capitalized on that and weaponized it to get people to come work there for less than they were worth. Like, you're going to be part of something. I think a really illustrative moment in this whole story is that Adam Newman trademarked the word we and then changed the name of the company from WeWork to just we and then made the company buy the trademark from him for $10 million. That's the kind of guy this was. So yeah. he's a huge scumbag. He's a so, scumbag. There must have been some sort of non-disclosure agreement that expired because I don't know if you recall that when the fire festival stuff came out there was like multiple podcasts and multiple like hulu and netflix series all came out at the same time about fire festival and i'm curious if something similar happened with WeWork because i feel like there were several podcasts and several different streaming services had their own story on WeWork, but the one that you referenced is i think the best one there's been a few of them but yeah there's a it was definitely something that was like kind of chronicled in real time as they filed to go public, some stuff came out. It led to the coining of a phrase that I have come to use regularly in my discussions inside of the tech world with other colleagues, and that is uh, yoga babble, 
which is the concept of when you ask someone what their company does, if they can describe it to you in a sentence and it's very like pragmatic, that company's probably going to be really successful. If they turn it into this whole like save the whales using a lot of like spiritual language and they never really talk about what the company does, that's a really bad sign. You know, when you talk to someone that works at Slack, they're like, what do you do? They're like, oh, we make a, you know, a business chat software that allows people to collaborate more closely. Like, great. That sounds really useful. You talk to someone at WeWork, like, or not maybe everyone, but like Adam, what they did. And it was like full of this, like, we're changing the world, the way that people, you know, collaborate via, they called themselves the world's first physical social network. And they kind of tried to posture as if they were a technology company. That was a big piece of this equation was that they realized that like when you raise money in Silicon Valley and on, from investors, uh, if you are a tech company, people will let you burn a hole in the ground with cash and just like light it on fire and they expect returns of like a bajillion dollars and valuations are huge. Because you look at companies like Uber, they never make money. They are – they have been operating at a loss for a decade and people still think eventually they'll figure it out. WeWork's business model was very simple. Like you sign a bit, you sign a long-term lease, you divide that lease up into small increments, and you upcharge people for the you know improvements that you make. And by unit economics, you make cash. That should be the easiest financials to read on a sheet of paper ever. Right. Like it, it should be very simple. And they tried to kind of muddy those waters into being a technology company so that they could kind of like sell this dream of being this kind of Silicon Valley type style company because he wanted like all modern grifters. He wanted to be Steve Jobs. You know, we saw this with the Theranos lady, who is, who is uh, Elizabeth nuts. Holmes. Yeah, yeah, another one who, um, yeah, and all these people, uh, they're basically just con men who have have read the Steve Jobs biography. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people that defend these people by just by basically being like, "Oh no, you know, the free market's hard, and sometimes mistakes are made, and uh, they should just be allowed to walk off with their five billion dollars and try better next time." And I really hope ne- none of these people get away with it. I hope all of them get sued into the ground because they deserve nothing. Adam Adam's gonna get away with it because he lives in he lives in like Israel now, and like I I've, I don't know how they're gonna get him. He had a mansion built where his living room was the shape of an electric guitar. That's the kind of person he is. So, oh man! Yeah, drink that one in. So, incredible documentary. Definitely watch that. Uh, next up is the Green Knight, uh, which I finally got to watch. Was uh, it good? It's a retelling of an ancient medieval tale. It's incredible. It's a really good movie. It's got Dev Patel, isn't that his name? Mm-hmm. Dude, he's. Great. Um, I don't want to give away too much about this movie because I know you haven't seen it, and I I think a lot of people missed this one because it wasn't like a, a huge blockbuster. This is an A twenty four movie. Uh, but it's coming out, but it's like on every list of like best of movie of the yes. year type. And it absolutely yeah. deserves that. Uh, like I said, it's a this is an ancient tale. This is like a story from like 1200 or something that is like long standing folklore tale. And it's beautifully told, beautifully shot, incredible acting. The costume works incredible. I kind of missed it at first because I'm not a huge fantasy type person. I, that's not never, I'm more of a sci fi guy on that spectrum. This is an incredible film. Definitely go see this, for sure. Uh, And then my last one is a movie I just randomly encountered the other day. It came out this year. It's very small, but it's called Mass. Um, So this came out this year. It has 
Jason Isaacs in it. I don't know how everyone else knows him. When I think of Jason Isaacs, I think of the evil cavalry commander from the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson in the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, you know, he played uh, Lucius Malfoy. Thank you. That's a, that's a really good one. More people will know that one. Lucius Malfoy. So um, this movie is a chamber drama. It all takes place in one room. And it is two couples. They're both sets of parents. And this kid does a school shooting and then kills himself. And six years later, the parents of the shooter and the parents of one of his victims get together in this church to try to, like, have a conversation, forgive, exchange forgiveness and heal from this incident. And it is one of the, like, most tense, well-acted, well-written, just almost purely dialogue-driven films. Obviously, there's not a lot of, like, action in this movie because it's kind of just, like, switching back and forth, looking at two sides of a table. But it felt so real to me, and obviously I'm in a weird position with this. I, I'm expecting my first child this summer. My my son will be born in June, and so I'm viewing anything written about parenthood and like the perspective of parenthood a lot differently. And to see both father characters in this movie, um, a father who lost his child through no fault of either his child's own or his own, feels like lightning struck your kid. And then on the other side of the table, a man who did his best to raise his son and the son just had something broken in him and became a monster. And that is hmm. – it's an incredibly powerful movie. It is not a, uh, a fun <laughs> movie. This is not going to be like something you rewatch ten times. Um, but as far as just like a movie that could have been made for almost no money, you know what I mean? Like there's there's not huge set pieces. There isn't humongous name actors in it. Um this is just someone who wrote an incredible human tragedy story and put it to film, and it, it was an incredible experience. I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I I have not seen it. Um, the movie that I'll kind of throw out there that's a little bit in the same vein in the sense that it is like a dramatic piece that is – it's probably one you could watch maybe only once and is just incredibly impactful – um, it technically did not come out in 2021, so I'm cheating a little bit. It actually came out in very late 2020, but it's kind of being considered a 2021 film, and that is The Sound of Metal. Did you have you ever seen? I the have Sound not of Metal? seen this. I've seen it on a bunch of those lists of like you have to see this movie. Yeah, yeah. one of a bunch of awards. It's I, I, I hope I'm not butchering his name, but it's got Riz Ahmed. Uh, Riz, Riz Ahmed, Ahmed is awesome. The guy from The yeah, Night of so and things like that. He's he's very good. He's in this kind of up-and-coming class of actors who have just been killing it, like, in everything they're in. But anyways, The Sound of Metal is, essentially, it is about a drummer and a former drug addict that is losing his hearing. And it's so the movie's a lot about, like, change and just, like, losing something that you're super passionate about and having to move on and lost love and things like that. It is a, if you've seen Whiplash, it's got, it hits some of the same notes I was going to say, I know you yep. love Whiplash, and so I was like, I can already see how this falls right, hits you in the same exact spot, and I know that played really well for yeah, you. It's, which, yeah, it's about a Nothing wrong with that, drummer. Dude, Whiplash is incredible, so yeah, if it's anything yeah. like that, I'm sure I would love it too. It, it, it's, it's, it, it's a little bit similar in the sense that it explores love of music and facet of it, right? Like, mm-hmm. he's... You know, where, where Whiplash is, he's chasing greatness and he's chasing making great music and becoming a great musician. This is more about having to move on for one reason or another. And in this reason, it's a very tragic reason. Um, it, it's I'll say about- this, man. Like, this... I, I encourage anyone listening to this, go rent 
and go pay money to see movies like this and movies like Mass. Small budget, original concept films are so difficult to get made in the modern space. Like, Hollywood wants to churn out sequels and reboots of known properties that will make a bajillion dollars. And I'm not saying those don't have a place. I, too, enjoy a good Marvel movie and a a Batman movie and all those things. But it's these kind of movies with totally original plots that are written, that are clearly like someone's life work, like someone sat down like this was their their masterpiece for them at that point in their life. These are the kind of movies where I think you, you truly get like some of the best work out of actors and directors because they're working within the confines of such limited resources and that, that creates such innovation and brings out just such another level of kind of gritty execution out of creative people. Um, yeah. So I always urge people like go see movies like this, man. Like it, it helps to stream them like obviously, but if you have the opportunity to like – if you live in a major city like Dallas or Austin like we do, there are cool art house theaters where you can go see independent films like this. Every dollar you spend going to see one of these movies will help create 10 more of them. Every dollar you throw into Marvel's coffers is like – doesn't really make a difference. So like these – these it's hugely impactful to the creative community to pay money to see these kind of things. A thousand percent and it is – I mean look, a lot of the people we listen to this are writers and they they write like novels and things. It's, it's not that much different from – and nothing against like Grisham or any of those guys like that. But if you go – if you are walking through the – the bookstore or whatever, and you see a Grisham sitting there, you buy it, you are going to get the same kind of formula that he's been churning out for the last 25 years. And you're going to be, you're going to help pay him and his staff of writers, right? (laughs) That are very much part of this cash cow. Whereas if you're on Twitter, which is where a lot of our followers find us, and you are reading through your feed of all these different, you know, indie authors, that are, like you said, putting their life's work into this, you know, you might be really surprised with the sort of creative liberties that they're taking and the sort of the where they're coming from from a life perspective and the kind of story that they're able to tell you. So I, I 100% agree with you. Take a, take a risk on some of those smaller acts. The other thing I'll add to that is um, that YouTube account that we were talking about last night, the George, what's his name? George, George uh, Rockall Schmidt. Okay, George Rockall Smith. I actually shared a George Rockall Smith video today on our YouTube. Dude, he page. is such a banger, dude. This guy. Okay, this guy's just this like <laughs> angry Brit with like maybe a quarter million followers on YouTube. Simmering and anger. All of his all of his videos are just like him in a chair with a beer next to a lava lamp, and he just launches into some like very incredibly articulate, well thought out intellectual treaty on some topic. I would say roughly half of them are about film, and then the other half are just about anything in the world that he finds interesting, whether that's like a scammer or some Black Friday or like some thing in phenomenon in society. But he's very into like film and filmmaking, and he makes some of the best videos on YouTube. Like he's a very un- small, like not well-known creator. He doesn't do product placement or doesn't take ads on any of his videos. This guy is like truly a pure creative at least for right now i don't know if the bag hasn't been thrown at him yet but man can't recommend him enough i i have pitched him to like everyone and sam is my latest convert to the the george train yeah george rockall schmidt but he's he's great and he had this video that talked about like studios getting a hold of movies and ruining them i think the two examples that he used were um sorry my dog is (laughs) 
my dog is running laps right in front of me and I, I want to slap him. Not really, because that would be mean, but he's <laughs> being very loud. Right Someone's now. got the zoomies. Anyway, he does have the zoomies. Uh, but George Rockall Smith, he has um, this video about what happens when studios get a hold of films. And the two films that he uses as an example are well, he's got, actually, he's got two separate videos about the similar topic. And one is Fantastic Four, which is like comically, <laughs> it is like such a famous example yeah. of like a studio ruining a director's vision. And the other one is Ghostbusters. Which I, until I saw his video on that, I didn't know what the original intent of the first director of that movie was. And it made me so sad because it sounded awesome. Yeah, it like a super gritty look at those, at that like idea was sounded fucking awesome yeah. dude i was like man y'all suck you yeah so um if you kind of watch that george rock schmidt video talking about what happens in the studios ruin movies like that's a perfect another reason why you should absolutely invest your time and money in watching these smaller budget films because like the sound of metal had a budget of like uh like half a million dollars believe it or not yeah that's like matt matt mass had a budget of like 300 grand yeah and so you get these huge actors to like commit to these smaller projects because they are very thoughtful in what they're doing and they're not controlled by a studio so they're able to take liberties on in telling a really good story and not trying to like not trying to form fit it to a mass audience but instead just telling a really good story so uh and this is not like i hope this is not coming across as being extremely uh, snooty and being like, no, this is the way that stories have to be. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. We've, we've actually roasted... And, and look... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, there are huge budget, giant studio movies that are incredible. There Will Be Blood, I think, is one of the greatest movies ever made. And it is, you know, as big as Hollywood gets. You know, No Country for Old Men. Sicario, like these are all movies that are made with massive budgets, with huge stars and giant name directors by massive studios, and I think they're incredible. But I think what we're getting at is that, like, if you want to get as close to like the pure creative process as possible, and with as few cooks in the kitchen as possible, that's what an indie movie often is: is it's like one person's passion project that they brought others into, and that, and obviously. There are terrible indie movies, many of which you'll never see. Just like there, the number of horrible self-published novels is nearly innumerable. But you may very well find something that that changes the way you view the medium itself. So, highly recommend. Uh, Any movies like thoroughly disappoint you this year? Um, I've got two. I'm trying to. So you, I, I can, I can start rolling on the ones that disappointed me while you're thinking, if that works. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. I think I, I because I didn't go to the theaters and stuff, like I was able to just turn stuff off. So I don't know if I like watched anything all the way through that I was really mad about. Yeah. I think I, I had two that were that were pretty disappointing to me based on just what I had read about the film going into it and like what I expected. Uh the first sure. one was King Richard with Will Smith. Did you ever watch that? I didn't see that. I heard it I heard it was really good. Um and I, I know he's up for like Oscars for the the performance and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I love tennis and everything. I just didn't ever really get around to watching that. It didn't seem like a story. Yeah, when I, when I read... To be honest, like, I love Venus and Serena, too. I think they're incredible. I was just like, yeah, I think I've, I feel like I know this story. Like, hardo dad proven right, effectively. Like, hey, you know those guys at the park that you see abusing their kid on Saturday? Turns out, 
he was right the whole time. Yeah, and you're wrong. That was <laughs> so. The reason I was excited about this is the way that it was pitched on the blacklist. So if you haven't been to the blacklist, it's such a cool website. Just like all these neat ideas for scripts, and it's a place for uh, people in the industry to share their screenplay back and forth and try to get their their pitch out there, basically. And the script for King Richard won the. I believe in 2019, maybe 2018, it was one of the like best of that year. And I was like, wow. And I, the idea of a basically a biopic of Serena and Venus Williams, but kind of told through the eyes of their very hard pushing father. It sounds really cool. Right. Um, as a huge golf fan, the idea of like an Earl Woods movie pushing Tiger Woods. I was going to say, yeah, very comparable. Sounds super story. neat. And so I was very much expecting that, and I I feel like they definitely toned down probably what Richard was like in this film. You know, Serena and Venus's father. Like he doesn't come. Do you think they just like didn't want to skirt the line of uh, child abuse because of the nature of both. Like, there's a racial element to the movie. I know because of like how they were viewed. They're playing a predominantly white sport. They're black athletes, so they don't want to like sully the v- vision of like. These are the good guys. Right. Is that kind so of the, you get, the vibe? You, yeah, that makes you sense. You get some of that, and the best way I can describe it is every time it shows the father talking to Venus and stuff, he's very much like um, being a great teacher, a great father, being loving, and every hint that he's pushing them too hard is is dialogue from other people being like, you're pushing them too hard, and you never see it. It's just told that like you, you're making them study too hard or whatever, and then it shows Venus... And Serena being very good at school and knowing all this stuff or like being really good on the tennis court. But you never, there's no conflict between, the only conflict in the entire movie is like, you see Richard dealing with other adults that are like, you're being too hard on them. And then he's like, you'll see. Yeah. And then he, and they go win the tennis tournament. And it's just that for two hours. But and the, the, the girls never push back on history the girls are very much just like they they aren't even really characters they're kind of products of a uh plot environment sort of where they just are like they're there to win tennis which i kind of expected a little bit of that because it is a story about richard primarily but they make him he is a hundred percent a hero in the story and he's got like no they do not push at all about like was he hard on them or anything see i i I almost want like a, a whiplash dynamic where you're left questioning like was it worth it like even though they were champions and it was it all did pay off like is it worth treating taking it to that level with your own children because if it doesn't if they don't make it what have you done and even if they do make it what have you done to your relationship to them are you really their father are you their coach like i that's the questions i want to be left with but again i don't know enough about the real story so like for all i know like it was tight like so, but yeah, I from a just from a purely narrative standpoint, I can already see that like yeah, that would disappoint me too. I agree with you. It it, it felt like they they got creative control from the family of like you know Venus and Serena, and then they had tight watch over the production and things like that. That's how it felt. Yeah, and so often that happens. That's how the Gotti movie was. Yeah. Like they started working really closely with John Gotti's family, and it turned into this like, yeah, he was in the mob, but he gave out turkeys on Thanksgiving, so he's kind of a good guy. And it's like, dude, he f- killed like a thousand people. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? Or like, I always say this about Thirty for Thirties, like on ESPN, you have to choose if you want primary source interviews or to tell the truth because right. you like can't have both because like you were like the usc remember when they did the usc 
30 for 30 and I was like, oh, hell yeah, dude. They had mad criminals on this team. Like, Reggie Bush was getting paid. Yeah. Like, this is going to be awesome. And it was just them. Like, all of them were in it. And they were just like, boy, we loved football. Yeah, and, th- and then we won this other game. And we were like, man, football's fun. And then we then we played against Fresno State. And we beat them by a bunch. And we were like, ah, yeah, football. For like two hours. I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Show me Reggie Bush getting a limousine to take him to class. Right. I can't wait for the Florida University 2008 team 30 for 30. Oh, God, do that. yes. The second Tim Tebow and Urban are dead, we're going to get the real story yeah, yeah. of that. Like, um, The only other movie I wanted to touch on as far as it being a disappointment, um, which this came out towards the beginning of the year, but when I heard about like the Disney DreamWorks production for uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, I was really excited because... I feel like... I've never heard of this. Yeah, so it's a Disney film that came out towards the beginning of the year that is mm-hmm. a... It's. I feel like Hollywood and production uh, studios are starting to realize, like you said earlier, the, the value of the Eastern audience and... Like, Dude, they were aiming hard for a very particular... <laughs> yeah, and, and, and so an example of this was Kubo and the la- and the two strings Kubo and the two strings yeah, came yeah. out a few years ago um so they kind of tried to hit on some of that same note with this Raya and the Last Dragon the Warcraft movie like the Warcraft movie flopped here super hard one of the worst releases ever made a billion dollars in China yeah. Raya and the Last Dragons takes some of the uh tropes and mythologies of cultures in the east particularly i believe China and it was really bad i i i was really hoping that it would be a good like kind of new age animation film that would kind of stand the test of time the trailer looked really cool looked like it had really you cool wanted, animation like, the new finding nemo or like the new yeah and with some with some cool action as well and it just had really weak characters had horrible plot points it, it, it was if you ever watch a new hope and how a new hope just bounces like and now we're doing this and now oh, we're yeah. doing this and now we're doing this and it's like you can't really follow sometimes you're like where where it, it feels like they're writing as they go that's what Raya and the last dragon does but it's not done well <laughs> and so yeah adina yeah. and i were that's just, a hit or, that's a hit or miss strategy for sure like you could either like everyone's along for the ride and it feels great or everyone's like bro weren't we just on tatooine like we're in space now what's going on that's what this yeah several times throughout the movie we would turn to each other and be like wait why are they doing this now wait what's going on and just it there was like a two or three twists that were not done well and it just it wasn't great oh. um, yeah, I'm, I'm like getting i'm like mentally preparing myself to wade into like children's media you know because i'm getting ready to have a kid so suddenly i'm going to be like hyper aware of like paw patrol or whatever the cool shit is by the time my kid is we're just going to become a paw patrol podcast media. fuck yeah dude so yeah I'm, I'm sure i'll be like an expert on like we'll be coming on here and i'll be like yeah, dude, I I actually didn't get to see uh that that new Dune movie. Um, however, Paddington Four, Paddington in Paris, is a pretty great heir to the throne of Paddington Two. Yeah, I still so can't believe that that Paddington Two made that Empire list of the best movies I, of all time. You know, I can't even talk. I've never seen Paddington Two. It might be great. I have a hard time believing it's one of the one hundred greatest pieces of cinema ever made. I don't know if anything with a two on it other than Godfather and maybe Terminator yeah. deserves to be in that discussion. But, like, hey, who knows, man? Maybe Paddington 2 is a straight banger, bro. Like, what if you and I sat down one night and watched Paddington 2 and we were just, like, both in tears? Like, just, like, it's so beautiful. Like, well, we, we, have you heard of the podcast that was in, I believe, this guy in New Zealand 
for uh, every day for a year straight, watched Grown Ups. Oh, it's 2. called the worst idea ever. Yeah. So it, the first season is Grown Ups two, and then they picked a new movie for every single year. And I got to it in season three when they were watching We Are Your Friends, the really bad Zac Efron DJ EDM movie, <laughs> and they watched it every day for a year, bro. The first like ten episodes of each year are pretty like uneventful. By like July, it's like a, a slow motion devolving into mental illness like they're just like why does this exist why would someone say that who wrote this like it's so great dude that that podcast is incredible we, we, we're gonna end up becoming that but for paddington too uh just for paddington too dude okay so a few other things i want to talk about um red notice i feel like deserved to mention it is the most like straight down the middle action film but it was really well done i was it, gonna it, say like it's it's fun it's just like uh, it's just like total it ham sandwich. Just like it is. I'm... I feel like the best parts of the movie are The Rock and Ryan Reynolds kind of like bromancing thing. Their little relationship, doing what they do in real attack. life, and just they were just um, being themselves. It was the ultimate example of just acting themselves. They just yeah. played themselves. Yeah, uh, it's it's fine. It's just like yeah. It it I put it in the exact same category as the other one of these that Ryan Reynolds did for Netflix. The uh, Seven yeah. Underground, Same which thing. is another like insanely high budget action film they produced. That is the second I'm convinced there's like some kind of like binaural beat underneath the soundtrack that makes it so the second the movie ends, you do not have any recollection of what it was about, who was in it, what the plot was, anything. Ryan Reynolds was also in Free Guy this year, which a lot I've of people really that. liked. It's interesting. My wife and I watched it. Uh, it's a it's. It's an interesting attempt at the classic, like, what if everyone was in a video game movie? Um, check it out; it's interesting. It has a, it has a. Did you watch the French the Dispatch? Thing. We need to get to I that. Did not. It's Wes Anderson. I, I okay. haven't watched it either. That's why Wes Anderson. Uh, we we're talking a little bit about like Adam McKay and how he's kind of evolved. I feel like Wes Anderson has the most distinct directing writing style, maybe out there. Period. To where like. You either love Wes Anderson or you hate him, and there's really not an in-between. But yeah, if you if you had no concept of him and you just sat someone down and made them watch The Grand Budapest Hotel, they'd be like, what yeah. the fuck is wrong with this movie? Like, every every all the framing is really strange, everything's very small yeah. and, like... Petite, or it's just, like, a zi- or all of a sudden like, it's, like, right into their face. I, I like, love... straight, huge close-up. Yeah, he loves the... He loves the really close-up face shot, and then the, like... Uh, the framing shot where it's outside the walls of the room. Like, you can see both walls of the room, and then there's some black space on the outside, and you're like, you can see the entire room, and they're all yeah. inside of it. Like, he loves um, those. So. Do you have time to go over superlatives? You have like 10 minutes to go over superlatives? Sure, let's do it. Yeah. Superlatives. Um, I've, I've written down a few. I don't know if you had a chance to make any superlatives. I, I made four. I made best character, best scene, best plot, and best film. Uh, best film, I think it's obvious. We talked about it earlier. Dune, Dune is the best movie that came out this year. I don't think that's really a question. Yeah. Um, best character. Oh, go ahead. I'll say this while I while I'm giving that to Dune, absolutely, and I don't think I will ever change. Do not be shocked if you go watch The Green Knight and decide that that is the best movie because I think if I did not love Dune so Duly much, noted. I would be considering it. Well, we would have to do a Green Knight uh, pod here soon. Uh, Best character, touched on this a little bit earlier, I loved uh, Ruben from Sound of Metal. Really interesting look into just a 
someone having to deal with something that is extremely difficult for them and their passions. Best scene, this is a bit of a dark horse. I put the Suicide Squad opener where it introduces all those characters, including like Pete Davidson and stuff, and they just get killed. Such a great uh, Shaggy Dog sort of opening. Uh, I I thought that was super apropos with like one of the big criticisms of the original Suicide Squad about how all these characters are like invincible and they didn't know like introductions to these characters and you didn't care about them at all in this one they like kind of acknowledge that by just totally flipping you on your head thinking like oh these are the main characters then they all get killed (laughs) in five minutes yeah that was great that was great and then best plot uh i i put don't look up the other one i wanted to mention that we haven't talked about on this episode is old by in Matt Shyamalan. pretty interesting like a typical in Matt Shyamalan story see this i heard people liked it um M. Night Shyamalan's burned me so many times. Yeah. Uh, he's talented. I just... He is such a guy that, like, has a great idea and then just doesn't execute it well. <laughs> like, it, like it, his movies all sound great in one sentence. Like, when you describe his movies in one sentence, like, that sounds fucking awesome. And then yeah. you go see it and you're like, ah, it could have been really That's awesome. That's a little bit what this one's like. I think that it, it you know, he's been... He's been financing his own movies for a few years now, and I think that was a little bit of the reason why this didn't catch as much. Uh, I think if this movie had come out earlier in his career, I think it would have done a lot better. Like, if this movie had come out uh, after maybe uh, Unbreakable, signs is that what it's called? Or, Unbreakable. Oh, okay, yeah. If it had yep, come out after Unbreakable or after Signs, I think it would have been received a lot better. But once he did, like, Lady in the Water and stuff, and it just got, things got weird, I think that he lost a lot of his like general audience but i think if he had that the benefit and they overhyped him to death man i feel bad for a guy they put him on the cover of of a newsweek with the title the next spielberg like that's yeah a nigh impossible throne to live up to if for no other reason than like spielberg is such a unique director in that like I don't even know if you called Steven Spielberg like the best director ever, but he just like makes such huge shit that like that's not even what people are really aiming for. You know what I mean? Like Denis Villeneuve does not want to be the next Steven Spielberg. Maybe J.J. Abrams wants to be the next Spielberg. That's yeah. kind of what someone I would put in that category. Yeah. But yeah, are those your superlatives? Those are my superlatives. And I would add Michael nice. Michael Bay wants to be Steven Spielberg. That's fair. That's fair. Although Michael Bay made straight bangers in the 90s dude and has he's still every once in a while dude I, i'll write him off i'll be like he's a transformers dude now and then he comes out with uh like 27 hours is that what it's called mm-hmm. the one about uh syria yeah i think you're right that shit yeah. was fire that movie yeah. was fire yeah, yeah. I my best movie was definitely dune um best documentary was we work um for and I did a best performance. Uh, I picked kind of an off, like an off the beaten path one. Dune had some incredible performances in it, but I just keep going back to Oscar Isaac's. I think playing a character like Duke Leto Atreides is difficult. He doesn't get a lot of screen time, and he doesn't get a lot of um, he gets some good screen time. But he doesn't get a lot of screen time like in the book. Like he's not a major focus of the novel. It's very focused on Paul and. Leto is, is much more seen through the eyes of his own son rather than as an independent, objective character. Um, and so Oscar Isaacs really got to f- like form this character via his like actions and his body language and his presence in every scene. And I thought he brought just like a incredible presence to every single frame of this film he was in. Is an incredible performance for a part that is ultimately over. Like, he doesn't even get to be in the second part of this movie. I don't think it's going to be big enough to get him any, like, Oscar nods or anything, but for a movie that I consider to be such a masterpiece, 
when I think about the performances in that film that really left me like with my jaw on the floor as far as like that's exactly how I viewed that character in the original text Oscar Isaacs and Dune as Duke Leto absolutely killed it I, I think I honestly think you could say like nearly any actor in that film uh particularly yeah, the the, the core family job. of uh I forget the uh was it Michelle Williams who played the mom yeah, and then, yeah, and then Timothy Chalamet, dude. Like he's he's like when I when they first announced him as Paul, I was a little bit skeptical of it, um, but he absolutely crushed it. Yeah, I mean, and I cannot wait for the next the next part where he's kind of uh, evolves into like the the Messiah of Dune and comes through spitting game. It's gonna yeah, awesome. it's going to be great. Well, Andy, once again, thanks for thanks for joining. I'll I'll let you get to it. And uh, thank you, man. It's been it's been a Interesting year of film. I'm really excited to see what comes up uh, with this upcoming year. I know we have a ton of really cool titles coming out over the next few months that I'm sure we'll get to talk about. Well, again, thank you all for joining. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps us out. And also, like I said, tell two of your friends. We, We love to get the word of mouth. Again, this is Novel Discourse. I'm Sam. I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. Take it easy. Wow, 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 wow,